Howdy, y'all. Hope you guys are having a good one. Dan Scotland here from Legal Grass, Massachusetts, the heartland of America. I just want to level with you. I didn't complete the book, um, The Medicalization of Marijuana, but I do want to give you guys some sort of um, overview and outlook. I don't want to leave you guys empty-handed while I do finish the book. Um, I've been doing interviews. I've been doing a bunch of other stuff. I've been doing some off-podcast stuff. It's it's no excuse for not meeting my deadlines. And I, I apologize to you guys, the audience, for not doing so. I'm still going to need more time to finish the book. Um, I'm going to give myself another 15 or so days. Um, I'm about 40%. It says on, on the Kindle version of the book, I'm 40% of the way done. So... Yeah, I think I think I should be able to finish in 15, but who knows? I don't know what else is going to come up. Like I said earlier, I I pronounced er, in in earlier podcasts at the end at the ending of last month that January I was going to have a lot of cha- I was going to have some changes in my life and that's what's materializing right now. That's part of what's materializing right now. Um trying to figure out ways to make more money. I'm having to trying to have i'm trying to get a new day job that's going to work and it's going to pay me a lot more than the previous day job i've had in the past year or two um so making more money has been on the top of my mind right now so you know reading the book has sort of slid by the wayside a little bit but um I'm, I'm, I'm still working on the book, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read some things I highlighted from the book. So I, I give you at least something. So I'm going to read the highlights right now. I'm, I'm using the um, Kindle app on the computer. So I, but so I hide. So here's one thing I highlighted from the book. Many published case studies on medicalization describe problems that have reached the final phase of institutionalization. Cannabis has not reached that point. Currently, it may be best characterized as negotiating phases three and four as patients and their advocates push for local, state, and federal officials to create systems for legal access. Moral entrepreneurs seek to establish the value of cannabis, but much of the public dialogue has not shifted to one of benefit. That remains anchored in debates about relative levels of harm, even for those using the drug under a doctor's supervision. So that's one thing I highlighted. Another thing I highlighted... The process of qualifying and registering a patient remains laborious, entails a fee, and creates a record of a person as a federal lawbreaker. So that's a lot of the reason why you have a lot of people who are like, I don't want to be in a government list. Like, that's the crux of why. And that was a very good passage that highlighted that. All factors that serve to discourage participation in the programs, as the patients interviewed here describe, will be described. When cannabis is available at retail storefronts to anyone with a photo ID with a photo ID, excuse me, establishing age, many patients who would qualify for the medical program opt to save time, money, and protect their privacy. Bingo! Bingo! That's a very key highlighted passage from the book because 
that's why you see like when when adult use goes legal in a um in a legal state like my state or in Illinois, you see recreational sellout so quickly. I mean, a lot of it is tourists, but a lot of it is people in Illinois that have a medical issue, but then work a government job or that own firearms or that, um, for whatever reason, want to really protect their privacy and don't want to be on a list. They go and they get their medicine because they don't have to get the medical card and, and be on that list and lose gun rights or, you know, lose a government job or, um, lose security clearance or whatever, so you have people like that rush to the recreational stores to treat their medical issues or to treat the medical issues of their children or to treat the medical issues of a relative or whatever, or a husband or wife or non-binary partner, whatever. They, that's what they go and they do. You know, um, that's why recreational, that's why I get so angry. That's why I've been roasting people. And I've gotten, I've gotten some heat for roasting politicians and roasting people for saying that recreational marijuana is a low priority issue. It isn't because most of the people, most of the adults over 21, and I would say over 30, you know, most of the adults over 30 buying recreational marijuana are using it for adult, for recreational. No, they're using it to treat medical issues or they're using it to treat the medical issues of their young kids. Most people over 30, they're not buying it to go to a concert. They're buying it to treat their own sleep issues, their own chronic pain issues, their own anxiety issues, their own irritable, irritable bile syndrome issues, their own, um, um, what's the name? Depression or eating disorder issues, whatever. It's being used by people over 30 to treat pain and to treat issues. It's not being used to go to concerts. That's not, that's what the, the, that's, I'm afraid that's what these politicians don't seem to get. You know what I mean? That's why I highlighted this passage. Next one. Let's go. Medical cannabis patients share similar health attitudes and therapeutic aims with those who seek out other forms of complementary alternative care. Those include dissatisfaction with the options of traditional biomedicine, a desire for a more natural treatment options, and a desire to have more control. Coomber, Oliver, and Morris, 2003, Botorf et al. 2011, Riemann 2016, Hathaway, Rossiter 2007, Eat L two thousand and three, Bishop and Lewith twenty ten. In fact, studies have found that medical cannabis patients are more likely to have used complementary and alternative care than the general population. Fogarty Eat L two thousand seven, Riemann two thousand sixteen, Re Re Eat L. 2011. So a lot of people exhaust the pharmaceutical route of medication 
they go to their doctor, they try five, six medications like myself when I was trying to treat insomnia that doesn't work. And then they go for the more natural ones. And then when I did that, I went to a vitamin shop. Like the guy at vitamin shop probably recognized my face. He, I, I would say, and I recognize his face. I, I, I recognize what he looks like. He was a, he was a tall white dude with like um, shortcut hair, sort of a goatee in a sense. He was pretty tall and um, he was at the vitamin shop. Um, and um, he recognized my face because I was there almost every week or every two weeks. Like I was there to get like my, cause I was a heavy lifter for like a couple of years after college. Like I went to the gym, with my friends like four to five times a week and um, to lift weights. And we, we had a full regimen with the leg day, arms, triceps, abs, everything. We did all, we did all in five days or four days. And um, while, while we had full-time jobs and, you know, I did that and I was buying vitamins to treat my sleep issue. And you recognize me like it got that bad, you know, you know, when you try the pharmaceuticals and they have worse effects or they only work a little bit of the time. And you're like, these are doctors with advanced degrees that are a bajillion times smarter than me. And if they can't even figure out my illness and they can't figure out the right treatment option, and they have all these powerful pharmaceuticals that they can prescribe me and, and then those aren't working, then, you know, what else do I have left? And you have to go the natural route. And that's what I went. I went to vitamin shop and I tried different vitamins. Excuse me. So let's go to the next one. Every nation that signed the three major international drug treaties of the 20th century has agreed to restrict drug use and enforce drug laws in their country at least as harshly as those treaties' terms. If a signatory nation enacts a less restrictive policy that does not meet the mandates of international treaties, they face review and threat of sanction, tailor and just... Just Just Selma, 2012, Sina, 20, 2001. This has become a source of contention that indirectly implicated U.S. cannabis policies when Bolivia sought legal exemption from chewing coca leaves. A traditional practice of the indigenous pre people of the Andean Highlands. I know why I highlighted that. Um, so shout out to Evo Morales. Um, he's the real leader of, um, he's the real leader of, of Bolivia, you know, and the U S doesn't really have a right in, in, in determining what's best for the sovereign people of, of Bolivia. If I'm to be honest, you know, I'm digressing a bit. I'm doing a bit more of that. I'm probably probably going to lose some of you for doing that. Excuse me. I'm probably going to lose some of you for doing that, but um, whatever, you know. Um, I have to say what is right. And I have to speak my truth. And if, if my truth doesn't align with yours, then, you know, 
there are other podcasts, other cannabis podcasts out there, man. But uh, let's continue. I know I highlighted this. In May 2012, Bolivia President Evo Morales brandished a coca leaf at the United Nations meeting on a drug policy and redrew his country from the single convention. Bolivia rejoined the treaty in 2013 after winning concession from the United Nations despite U.S. opposition. Morales and others accused the U.S. of hypocrisy resisting such reforms, given that a number of U.S. states have legalized some type of cannabis use at this point, arguing violating the very treaties that the U.S. was invoking. The U.S. can still claim compliance with international treatment agreements, excuse me, because the treaties are with the federal government, and the federal government has not altered national law that classifies all non-research uses of cannabis as a crime. So even Morales was challenging that. Like, if if the if the indigenous people of Bolivia use coca leaves and you know they're they're fulfilling their duties, they're going to work, they're providing for their families, and they're just pursuing this as part of flipping tradition, like alcohol, like people are drinking alcohol. That's their flipping tradition, bro. Um that's that's just what they do. That's just what that's just their way of life. If they're not harming anyone, heck, it's their country. It's not the United States place to say what their traditions and what their way of life is. That's for the people of Bolivia to decide. You know? It's not up to up to, to install cues and coups and and steal their resource resources that's effed up you don't i don't i don't condone that at all and for my central american listeners my south american listeners i'm with you guys every step of the way but let's uh continue After years of providing legal to no guidance, Colorado has a requirement that a patient has a bona fide relationship with the patient, meaning that the doctor is required to conduct a physician examination of the patient and provide ongoing care. The intent of this is, and similar requirements in other states is to curtail, curtail the doctor mill activities and pay-to-pay schemes for entry into the state program. CEO Dora 2017A 2017B CDPHE 2014 efforts that appear to be largely aimed at ensuring legitimacy at the doctor patient interaction. They may okay. Next, next thing I highlighted. They may worry that the physician will engage in a appraisal of them that marginalizes their patient identity in relation to the medical conditions for which they sought treatment. Likewise, the response of a physician may change the patient's feelings about her or him, and the potential can be a disincentive for patients who otherwise respect their doctor and value the relationship. Sets and Burke. 2014, comma, 413, period. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of why people don't really seek physicians or why why, why, why in this podcast when I do, was doing the how to get a card in your respective state, excuse me, 
That's why I was saying to not go to your primary care physician because you're going to avoid that. You can avoid a lot of that issue, you know, of your doctor of, of worrying about what your phys- primary care physician again, a your primary most of the time or a lot of the time, your primary care physician hasn't done it. If they have done cannabis, it hasn't been since the seventies, eight or eighties. B they were, they haven't done it since the seventies and eighties. And they were not thought it, taught it in medical school in the 70s, 80s, or 90s because of federal prohibition. And B or C or where, whichever number I'm at right now, you know, because they may get Medicare funding or Medicaid funding, and because they're regulated by the federal government in some sense, or they're getting federal do- dollars, it's in their financial interest to not give you a cannabis recommendation or to certify your condition for your card. So that's why I tell you to go to specialized cannabis doctors in all of those episodes. That's the main reason why this, this, this passage that I highlighted in this book is a huge reason why. And hopefully when we talk about all of it, when I'm, when I'm done procrastinating, I'm done, doing things out doing things in my life and um doing things for the podcast hopefully when i get this all done and i have all my highlighted passages we'll go more in depth but let's let's continue And the last passage, we're almost done. We're at the last one that I highlighted. They may worry that a physician will engage in a repraisal of them that marginalizes the patient identity in relation to the medical conditions for which they sought treatment. Likewise, the response of the physician may be to change the patient's feelings about her or him, or that the Potential can be a disincentive for patients who otherwise respect the doctor and value of the relationship. Stets and Burke, 2014, 4-1, 4-1-3. So yeah, people think that their physician is going to judge them negatively, that their physician is going to put, oh, they're a drug abuser, and then you know, prescribe them differently and treat them differently when, you know, whenever they have an issue. So people are worried that their primary care doctor will think badly of them if they ask them for the recommendation. Again, that's why I tell you, get the recommendation from the specialized doctors from sources like Weed Maps or, or um, what was the name of that other website? I'm going to look it up right now. Or um or going to marijuanadoctors.com or weedmax.com is going to doctors. That's what I recommend y'all do because you know we're in a time where um physicians physicians weren't taught it in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So because of the prohibition of cannabis. So they're gonna because and also they get they get funding from the federal government so they're going to be like no i can't give you a recommendation or oh 
um, it causes addiction because NIDA, the national, I th NIDA, I think is this the national Institute of drug abuse or something like that. I'm probably mixing up the acronym, but they only study the harms of cannabis. They don't study the benefits. NIDA is responsible for for researching harms of drugs, not benefits. They don't take an even-handed approach. It's in the name. Look it up. But with NIDA or whatever, they don't really... They research the harms and not the benefits. So you're, if your doctor reads that to, to sort of keep in touch and to keep his medical... To, to keep her medical skills sharp, to keep her medical skills sharp, or keep his medical skills sharp. If they're doing that, they're that, all they're getting is that like um, this isn't that that this isn't this is bad medicine, or it can cause paranoia, or it's you know we don't have proof that this really works, or yada yada. They'll just tell you that. So that's why I tell you, go to marijuanadoctors.com or go to weedmaps.com and look under doctors. You know, bring your medical records that you got from the primary care physician and then take that primary care physician's med medical records of you and then you go to the marijuana doctor. That's why that's what I always recommend in a nutshell. And that's why I highlighted that phrase. But um, I hope that was a good, um, I hope that was valuable from the highlights I got from reading 40% of the medicalization of marijuana. Again, I apologize profusely for having things come up, um, having things come up and working on um, some big things for this podcast that I have to keep under wraps until we release the episode. Um, I'm working on, um, yeah, I'm working on things in life. I'm working on um, the podcast. I'm working on this book. I'm working on other things that, that are going to help the podcast as well, too. And so that's why I haven't really been able to re reach the deadline. But I'm going to give it another 15 days or so. You know, it could be February. It could even be February 10th. I don't know. But tentative, tentatively, I'll give it another 15 days. Hopefully, at the end of the month, we're ready. Gives gives all the listeners even more time. So, as always, everyone, stay medicated, my friends, and peace.